Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 144, air show entertainer and World War II reenactor, Teresa Eman, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. This episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast is brought to you by Jeff Kennan, author of The Day I Learned to Fly. If you want to ignite in your small child or rekindle the first time you fell in love with flying, purchase your copy today of The Day I Learned to Fly by Jeff Kennan, speaker, author, and pilot. Welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. Today we have a special guest on the show and somebody who I'm a big fan on and I'm so excited to be able to actually speak with. Finally, I've uh, seen her at many different air shows. Uh, is somebody who's an incredible talent, uh, an amazing uh, period actor, and somebody that I've been following for years. And Teresa Eman, it is such a wonderful pleasure to finally meet you today. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm excited to have a chance to talk to you and everyone else. And I'm flattered by your kind words. Thanks. <laughs> you know, Teresa, we recently finished up the air show at Sun and Fun, and I didn't get a chance to come out and interview you. And I said, gosh, you know, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, but somehow the, the stars didn't align. But I want to say I heard you, of course, from far away, and you did a did a wonderful job. Uh, and every time I hear like any anything that you sing, the, the national anthem, whatever it is, the jazz, etc., it's just, uh, it's so awe-inspiring. And what it does for me, what your music does for me, it makes me go to a different place. And I think that happens with many people in your audience and a very happy place, that's for sure. I'm glad to hear that because that's really the point in what I'm I'm doing. And I'm very, as you've known, if you've seen me, somewhat unconventional because what I do is the vintage vocals. Um, so I wear all of the clothing from the period. I do my hair that way. Um, and then I sing that music and try to evoke the same feelings that that music um, was originally written for and what makes these songs still alive today after 80, 70 years. Um, and it's very unique. Um, when I moved to North Carolina several years ago, I had to retrain my hairdresser <laughs> to understand that she literally could not cut my hair the way she cut everybody else's. Um, and so... I have funky hair during regular times because it is cut in a style that will allow for vintage hairstyles. Um, I have, you know, more of my clothing is retro clothing than real clothes. But I think that helps to bring that feeling that you are feeling to the music um, 
And I'm glad to hear that I'm successful, at least for you. Yes, and, and many others. I mean, I, I've heard many other folks talk about it. I always point you out at the air shows. Uh, and, <laughs> and what's interesting is that uh, by doing that, you, you, you're both physically and you're also orally making us come back to an era that's just a wonderful time in life. And uh, it seems like hopefully we're going to get back to that again, but, uh, but we shall see. You know, one of the things, and again, this is just after Sun and Fun, we're recording this. One of the things I thought saw that was really cool is you were out near, I think it was Panchito, which is uh, the B-25 out there. And you kind of, you know quite a bit about airplanes. You've been around the air show circuit for a while. Uh, basically, more towards the World War II style, like you said, in the period acting. Uh, and, and you do a great job there. Why, why is it that you decided to go with that era and, uh, and your voice and your, your persona to be within that era? Well, first of all, let me say something to you. I have a trailer at Sun and Fun that I stay in. That's all part of my thing. And there are two things when it's 90 degrees that will pull me out of my trailer. That's a Merlin engine and afterburner. So having said that, yes, I love me some vintage airplanes, but I really like some afterburner too. Um, so I am an, I, I, I am a well-rounded av geek. Um, but I, I, have been singing and appreciating the music from this era since I was two. And my mother will tell you, she taught me how to use the record player because I was driving her crazy. And I, there are like old tapes of me somewhere in my parents' house of me singing music from that era when I was two and three years old that you can hardly understand the words, but everything is there. And then as I was growing up, um, People may or may not like this, but my favorite singer at that time was Barbara Streisand. And my mom had all of her old albums where she had re-sung the songs from that era. And those were my songs. Other people were listening to Bay City Rollers and stuff like that. And I was listening to the standards and singing them. And even though I'm classically trained, um, and I'm sure my voice teacher would roll over in her grave to hear some of the stuff that I do now vocally, it's where... Everybody knew I was headed because there was just a deep-seated love for this music. And whether or not I'm a reincarnation of someone from that period, if that's what you believe in or what it is, but this has been my thing since almost the day I was born. And, you know, I, I think we're kindred spirits there. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't know if anybody knows this about me. I don't think I've shared this on the show, but I, I, I listened to Glenn Miller uh, right before all of my check rides. And it puts me, yeah, it puts me into a space uh, that makes me so much happier and it clears my mind. But also uh, it, it kind of gives me an appreciation for life. And, and I look back and try to say, hey, what's what's really significant in life? And it, it makes me think of a happier time when I think our country was was more together and all pulling in, in one direction. And that's, that's something that maybe I... I think might happen again, and I hope will happen again. I think that's that's one of the things that obviously we don't get into politics on the show, but it's uh, something I always hope for and dream for. And uh, you know, back in that era, we talk about how wonderful the days were, and you know, there were tough times too. Don't don't 
don't get me wrong, but when it came to entertainment, and we've talked about this, it, it was just it was how good you were and how how well you could sing. It didn't matter your entourage and your look, etc. But uh, it was right. it was just how where how well did you sing? How well did you speak? Uh, how well did you write? That type of thing. And I I think uh, now it's a little more commercialized, and they think more about the sales than they do about the true talent. Uh, and and that's what I like about you is having that integrity within your voice and within your period acting. Um, but you know one of the, one of the things that I I really I'd like to get to after the Sun and Fun event is is where you got your start actually doing uh, the shows. How did, how did you actually break into this? I mean, because you've been doing this for a few years now. How did you find your way into those air shows? Well, this is going to segue into our next topic because. It has everything to do with my dad and coming, quote, home. I, I had a rough patch, and I'm always honest about this. I had a rough patch um, late, in, you know, late towards the end of high school and then for several years after high school of trying to find myself. And we talked a little bit about this and my artistic temperament and the fact that I don't fit into the societal mold of, quote, a productive member as far as nine to five is really hard on my, my creative soul. And, um, so I was really struggling with that. And I eventually, um, ended up going to Idaho Falls, Idaho, where I lived for 23 years. And I started singing again. I didn't sing for like six years. I listened to a lot of music, but literally did not sing anywhere for almost six years. And I ended up getting drugged to a karaoke night at, um, at an airport in Idaho Falls and sang a song and they recorded it and I listened to it and I was like, just like you, I really need to be doing this. And it was a song called Crimea River. <laughs> so I started singing a karaoke. I've won several prizes, including a lovely patio set um, and <laughs> other things. And um, as I was doing that, my dad was paying attention. And in 2000 or 2001, he was working at the Reading, uh, out at Reading at the World War II, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum World War II weekend. And my dad is the best at talking to people and talking people into things. And somehow he talked them into getting me to come out and sing. And a pizza shop sponsored me. So there was a sign out sponsored by you know, Esposito's Italian restaurant. And they flew me there to sing. And they kind of put me back in the corner just to keep Jim happy. And the buzz started, you know, this gal is great, blah, blah, blah. And so the next year, I actually was singing on the back of a roving truck. And then they incorporated some actors with me the next year. And we kind of did a USO show. And it evolved to the point that I was singing at the, the USO club. And then other air shows started, started to see me. And I started getting invited to those. And I got invited to the Virginia Beach, the Military Aviation Museum in Virginia Beach, and um, a couple of other ones. And then Connie Bolin um, saw me at Reading. And after a couple of years, was able to work something out that I could start going to Oshkosh and singing for their, um, in front of their airplanes during the Warbirds in Review, which then spun off to Sun and Fun. So they're all connected by Reading being the start. 
Interestingly, uh, that's the first museum I ever volunteered at was the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum. Started in back in 89 and, of course, circled all the way around. I missed the, the Air Venture, but made it to Sun and Fun and Sun and Fun Radio. It, it seems like we've, we've crossed each other's paths many a times, and uh, that's quite the journey. Uh, and it, it's interesting how us in the aviation field we're all, you know, brothers and sisters in the, in this wonderful world of aviation, and and even those that are enactors, you know, reenactors as far as World War II. Uh, there's a whole other community there that you know a lot about that I don't know much about at all, which I think is just fascinating. But uh, you obviously have talent, and I know that because I listen to you. And, 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 of course, we'll have some links, by the way, in the show notes as far as where you can go and find your music, uh, some terrific work that you've done. And I love the fact that you still are listening to that, and you and you're still promoting that. And it's something that, that really makes me happy, and I'm sure it makes a lot of other people happy out there. And there's young people out there, too, uh, that are getting into this, you know, uh, oh, yeah. in their you know teens and 20s. They're, they're all of a sudden discovering this music, and that is so cool that you're doing that. I think that's, that's one of my favorite things about you is you're making people discover this new, quote-unquote, music that's old. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I think the music is important because the words, and I do say this during my, my, my performances. And I said this at Sun and Fun. One, we don't dance enough and you can't really dance well to modern music unless it's beach music or something that's designed for whether it's West Coast Swing or Lindy Hopper, that sort of thing. We also don't have songs that have lyrics that speak to human emotion. And I think that's why I said this before. These songs have withstood 70, 80 years because everybody can relate to them. And when I'm singing, even at, at, at Sun and Fun, I saw this with little two and three year olds, songs like L-O-V-E, <laughs> A Tisk of a Tasket. Um, those songs appeal to everyone, whether it's because the music appeals to a little kid who doesn't speak English, you know, who doesn't speak well yet, but just hears, you know, the, the, the construction of the music. Or if it's someone who's just gone through a heartache and is listening to the words of Round Midnight, these songs speak to the soul of the listener, regardless of age, political affiliation, um, nationality. If you hear the words and you hear the music that goes with them, they move you in a way that current music no longer does. And I think that's important to keep that alive. And I do too. I mean, it really, I attach to certain songs, and we all have favorite songs. And uh, like with yours, you know, I'll be seeing you. I I love that. But but to really uh, be honest, my my favorite song that you sing, and this is going to be embarrassing to admit right now, but it's actually uh, "When You Wish Upon a Star." I love that song, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll obviously we'll put in the credits at the end. But I just I I don't know why I attach to that. Maybe because I make so many wishes upon a star, but that's it. I somehow emotionally get attached to that song, just like you said, and that's probably why it's my favorite of yours. Well, thank you. You want to hear a funny story about the recording that you heard? Mm-hmm. Sure. That recording, as a, as a guy that does recordings, I had gone into this this guy um, who recorded that for me several many years ago, and um, his recording studio was in his basement and the part where I sang in was a closet and um, we're in there. And he says, you know, I just want to do some sound levels. We were getting ready to record it. So I started singing. And if you listen to that, there's a, there's a part of it. And then there's a break about 30 to 50 seconds in. And I said to him, I said, okay, you want to go again? He goes, keep going. 
And that song was done in one take. Wow. The very first thing I recorded ever in a studio and is a one take shot. Oh, wow. So that makes my heart happy <laughs> that it moves you and that it's your favorite because to me, that song and that recording is tremendously magical. And it's one of the only recordings of myself that I will listen to all the way through. Oh, oh wow. That, that's true. And boy, now that you've told that story, now maybe I know why I've, I'm so attached to that song. Uh, because you can, a lot of times when you hear an artist, you can tell when they're, they're really bringing themselves out. Uh, during a song, and you did that in this, and also it, it did. It touched my heart. As a matter of fact, if someone wants to listen to that, the, you're on Reverb Reverb Nation, which is a really cool right. website, uh, and you can actually click on Teresa Eman and become a fan, and you can actually listen to that song uh, right there live. Yes, and uh, yep, you can listen to it live, and there's a couple of downloadable tracks on there. Um, but yeah, that song is actually on there, um, and I'd be I'd love if you took a listen because it. It really is my favorite song. You know, like you said, I love I'll Be Seeing You, We'll Meet Again, all those standards, White Clips of Dover, Boogie Woogie Boogie Boy, et cetera. But there is something about that song. Mm, yeah, it's, it's it's touching. The other, uh, of course, song that I listen to all the time, and and it's usually in an outdoor venue that it really touches me, is the national anthem that you sing. It's uh, I've, I've heard you sing that at least six times, and every time it, I stop everything I do, and, and it's like I'm so focused on it. It's just, it really is a, you do a wonderful job with the national national anthem and it was actually the first thing i i was walking when i heard it and i was like oh my god i had to turn around and stop say wow who in the world is that and uh, i think that's how i discovered you (laughs) well i have i have a mentality about the national anthem and it's this you can perform any song you want to as a singer but the national anthem is not a performance Mm -hmm. it's not american idol it's not Barnum and Bailey Circus. It's the national anthem. And it should be sung, for the most part, the way that it's written, which is why you'll never hear me embellish on that with crazy endings or crazy things. The only person who I would ever say had the best, who I say can can sing the national anthem with some embellishment was Whitney Houston. Yes. That's the only non-standard national anthem that I like. But any other, if you put your own flair to it, I'm like, meh, not the national anthem. That was just your performance. Because, I, 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 you know, being a fan of this era also means I have a very strong sense of patriotic pride and love for America. And that song, whether you like the lyrics or not, is the embodiment of American pride, and it deserves the respect of singing it the way it was written. The end. And I very much agree, and I think most of our listeners would agree with that. It's, uh, it's really it's something that, like you said, it's part of our nation, and it brings a lot of pride within our nation and about our nation, and it helps us connect to get and become one. I think it's really, really important. Yes. Uh, and-, and you know, I I look out in the crowd at Reading. I'm fortunate at Reading that they put me that that the national anthem is sung way out in the corner on the flight line, and I have to look across the field. And if if you've never been to Reading, it's it's acres Mm. and acres of reenactors and people on a good day. So I have to look all the way across the field. And while I'm singing it, I see people of all nationalities and age groups standing next to each other with their hands over their hearts, you know, looking towards me and the flag. And there have been moments at Reading or at Oshkosh, when I see that blending of everyone that's part of the, the the fabric of the United States, that I'm literally almost moved to tears. 
um, because it is just so powerful to be the voice that's bringing that to fruition. If that makes if that makes any sense, um, yes, because it, it does bring out that that pride in our country, and I think that's very very powerful and important. One thing that I think is important is also. I've seen that visitors, because, you know, my wife grew up in Italy, and there's there's a lot of international visitors, is is they respect that they give to us in in deference to to the national anthem uh, when they're listening. And uh, you can tell that they're very much moved by it and and by our pride and our patriotism. Uh, One of the things, we we keep going back to Reading, and and by the way, uh, what we're talking about, just so the listeners understand, is that this is what's called World War II weekend. Interestingly enough, and uh, this, you know, comes to a point where, you know, it's it's in my heart is really important. World War II weekend is uh, the weekend where it's usually doing Father's Day, and that is uh, a real kind of a special day for me and for for most people. Uh, but it's also it's it's our ability to have one of the largest World War II reenactments uh, in the country and uh, in, the in world, the world, actually. Yeah, you're right, in the world. Yeah. And and in Reading, Pennsylvania, and years ago, I decided to volunteer on a B-25 and uh, a P-61, and I was just this person there helping people. Uh, And when I joined, I was very young and had no knowledge, and I just came out of college. Uh, And the reason I'm digressing on here is I, I think this is the important part about Reading, is when I was there, and there's pictures of these folks, when they brought these airplanes in, I'd just been out of school, um, and you know I had some skills, et cetera, and they were building this airplane. And the people that were there, I was at least half their age, most of the folks there. And when they were putting this together, I said to them, well, where do you order the parts? And they, they laughed at me. And they said, son, uh, we build the parts. And I, I looked at them, and I, it, was a, it was a very seminal event in my life, and I still remember it to this day. I said, you can actually build these? And he said, well, yeah, that's that's what we did back in World War II. We actually built these parts, and, and we're going to do that again today. And uh, I was so in awe of people that can do that. And then I learned that there was this whole movement of people that restore aircraft and build aircraft, and they have incredible skills that are, that are taught and that I learned from other people that do that. And uh, that, that was one of the things that was so special. I'll never forget that moment. And, and Reading, the, the World War II weekend gives you those moments when you go there. And I, I want to clarify, just for simplicity, World War II weekend is always the first full weekend in June. Right. So, for example, if June 1st is Sunday, it's going to be the following weekend. Mm-hmm. If So it's going to be a full June weekend. Um, and if you are an aviation nerd, especially vintage aviation, and you've not been there, this is a bucket list item. Because when you walk on that field, and I know Carl can attest to this, you are taking a step back in time. And what that means is the reenactors can't have anything that is post-1944. I don't sing anything that's older than 1944 when it was written. Um, My clothing has to when I was thinner, I could wear clothing that was literally made prior to 1944. Now I have to have things made that fit me, um, that look the period, just because nobody was as heavy as we are as Americans now. Um, 
I mean, I have some costumes that are 24 inch waist. Wow, yeah. I don't think my leg is 24 inches around. <laughs> um, one of them. And um, so this, that's, that's what is very important. And that's what I bring to Sun and Fun and Oshkosh is that attempt to bring that same feel back that I've experienced at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum's World War II weekend because a lot of people can't get to it. But I think that's really important for the people who love these airplanes um, to get to experience. But if you have the ability to go, um, first of all, you got to plan ahead because there's only so many hotel rooms um, and you want to get some of those. So like if, if you're like, oh, I really want to go to that, you probably will have trouble finding hotel rooms close proximity now to plan for next year. Um, but just like it's on my top three list of things that aviation people need to do. So Reading, Sun and Fun, Oshkosh, and then Virginia Beach Military Aviation Museum would be the fourth. Of all the things that you can see in this world, those are my top four. Now, it doesn't hurt that they all hire me. <laughs> so I am probably a little jaded and I'll give you that. I'm glad you mentioned that. But yeah, I I totally agree with what you just said. I think World War II weekend is something that should be really be more promoted throughout the, the country because I think it's amazing. Uh, and like you said, Oshkosh, World War II, and Virginia Beach, uh, wonderful shows. Of course, I... Uh, you know, being with Sun and Fun Radio, I, I, you know, have, I'm predisposed. So, you know, to right. to our our Sun and Fun, and it's uh, I have a predisposition to anything that I'm involved with, like anything. But uh, it really is. No, it really, really is that good. Ha going to World War II weekend, you will never see anything like it. You know, I actually uh, I was able to s uh, sit next to Patton uh, at lunch one day, and oh yeah, th that was kind of interesting. And he was he was in character the whole time. Which is something else that I think is interesting because I'm sure there's people listening that would love to do that, but have no clue how they could get involved. I'm and I really don't know either. So I'm, I'm curious how do you, how do you actually become a reenactor and is there is there a, a you know a place you can go to learn? Well, there's a lot of groups on Facebook. Um, if you go to an event where you see the reenactors, talk to them. They're always looking for for new people, and a lot of them reenact several periods. So there's a lot of World War II reenactors who on alternate weekends are doing Civil War reenactment or Vietnam reenactment, which is something that's growing because as we lose the World War II pilots, as far as being able to talk to them, um, and, and as, you know, the, the Vietnam and Korean Wars become more important historically, because there is this, there's this gap in time when people are interested in things that were in the past. And we're moving into what I see as the Vietnam era, which is why you would have seen it at Sun and Fun this year, except that they couldn't bring the plane over from that era, the Harrier. And you'll see it at Oshkosh. I do one set of Vietnam music. It's not my favorite because it's not my, my strength. But I do a little Aretha Franklin and, you know, I do my best um, with that. But so you'll, the, the reenactors a lot of times will do several different areas and you'll or eras and you'll see them at different different places. But you want to the, the best way to do it is talk to somebody, um, especially if they're in a group that you're interested in, whether it's, you know, the the Pacific, uh, the Pacific Theater or um, that sort of thing. And at Reading, they divide them up. So when you go to the Pacific Theater, that's all that's there in that section. And then you can go to European. And then you can go to Russian and you can go to German and you can go to the Scots. 
you know, they're it's all divided up because these these guys come from like Georgia to Pennsylvania. I mean, they this is a trip to to go and do it. And it's nice to see that Sun and Fun and Oshkosh are seeing the value. You're actually going to see reenactors much closer to the um, Warbirds in Review than they've ever been because they're starting to understand the importance of seeming all of this stuff together into the full experience. Um, and, and we're trying to do that at Sun and Fun also over time, and we've gotten a great response to it. And I'm glad to see that Sun and Fun is open to trying to bring this experience to the people who come to Sun and Fun, especially the Florida residents who may not get to any of the other shows. And I think that we'll always have that as a friend of, of Sun and Fun Radio and Sun and Fun is uh, the fact that anybody who's bringing this history towards us is important. And I really, and I will say the feedback has been good. I mean, a lot of folks have been saying some wonderful things. And uh, the Warbirds in Review, uh, that is a an incredible thing to see. And there's a lot of history in in Florida, but also throughout the nation. Interestingly enough, there are a lot of people in the Northeast that go to Sun and Fun that haven't been to Reading to the World War II weekend. I highly wow. recommend you do that. You know, it's you really need to, to check it out sometime. It's at Reading Regional yeah. Airport, and we're this year. It's in June second, uh, third, and fourth. I'm glad you clarified. It's the first full weekend. I associate it with Father's Day because that's actually years ago uh, when my dad could walk. Right. That's where we would go uh, for Father's Day, uh, and it was a, a wonderful time because we were both. In to photography back then and and taking some amazing pictures etc and we uh, it really it brings back some amazing uh, memories but it also makes some amazing memories and i think that's important well and it's it's funny because some of my best friends i met at reading including my photographer um friend ricardo von puckhammer who is um one of the best photographers for airplanes that I've ever seen. And he took a picture of me in a Jeep and I saw this guy that had on knee pads and he had like five cameras, uh, you know, hanging off of him. And I'm like, this guy's insane. <laughs> he took this picture and he forwarded it to me. And, um, over time we started to be friends and now we travel together and, um, he takes some amazing pictures that you'll see on my, if you go to my Facebook page where I was in Panchito, the B, the B 25, um, at sun and fun. And, um, and then also the people that dance with me at Reading, Heidi and Joe that come down from New York city, they started out just as people I saw there. Um, and they, they taught themselves to dance about 15 years ago and they live the lifestyle. She does not own any modern clothing. She works for a museum in, in New York, um, the Frick, which is basically a museum that is historical um, from top to bottom in a historic home. And she lives in that clothing. And she's featured in New York, uh, in the New York Times social pages a lot. Um, but she never wears real, you know, what do I, I, I want to say modern clothing. And these are both people that I met through this great event um, that's bringing back history. And... Um, so I think, like you said, if you live in the Northeast and haven't gone, you got to do it. You, really, you can drive there from New York. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that far, and uh, it's it's wow. a day event for us. You were talking about trying to find a room, and uh, it's only a couple hours drive for me in New Jersey, where I stay in New Jersey with my family. Uh, it's a it's a mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful event. One thing that you said that I think is really important too is you know. At the end of the air show, we all talk about what was the best thing, et cetera, and our favorite thing. And it really is, it's the people. It's this family 
that you only get to visit with maybe once a year or a few times throughout the year, and that's at the air shows. And uh, for those of us who love to visit with our families, they've become part of it, and that's what it means to us. Uh, and all of us at the radio station and those that, that volunteer at Sun and Fun, many of us volunteer at Air Venture or at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum, like I volunteered. I actually didn't do much as far as radio. I, I was actually just cleaned things up. But uh, it was everybody has this important job. There's thousands of people that make this happen. And we are all, from the people that are you know sweeping the floors like I used to do, to the people on the radio, to the people that sing like yourself, we're all this big family that gets together once a year. And that's what's awesome. That's that's absolutely true. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that have become friends from these air shows. Like I have a friend, Suzanne. I have been following her son, uh, the growth of her her baby son from when she fi- you know finally was able to get pregnant to now he's a little over a, or maybe almost a year a little over a year old now. And these people are my family. You know, this kid is a kid I've known from the day he was born. And there is a bond there. And I only see her once a year. She may, she comes up from the Baltimore area for one day um, to Reading, and I get to see her. And that's a person I would have known if I hadn't have gone to one of these events. And there are there's a whole passel of people um, in Oshkosh that I see only once a year. And there are actually now, this is my second year at Sun and Fun, and there are people who came back to see me this year who I can see as we go along, will become really good friends of mine um, because you are bonded by this experience. Speaking of bonded by this experience, uh, one of the places that you're going this year, uh, let's see, next venue, of course, would be uh, Reading. And then, nope. oh, I'm sorry. What? Nope. No, 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 no. What? Military Aviation Museum's uh, World uh, Warbirds Over the Beach. That's right. Okay, thanks. And I might be going to American Air Power in between. We're still working that out, so... All right. I may be three weeks on the road for that one. Right. So, so that would. So in general, that's in May. The Warbirds over the beach for people that are listening to this right. say in the in the in the past, uh, and then in 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 June it'd be Mid Atlantic. July, of course, is Air right. Venture, and then April, say March. Usually, it's in April now. Is, is you're going to see you at Sun and Fun every year. So those are the four biggies that you're going to now. And of course, we'll see more right. uh, coming up. One of the things about. Uh, Oshkosh that's interesting for me is the only time I've ever been in Oshkosh is over the field during the show. I've never actually landed there. Uh, I've, I've flown over the show. How does that happen? I know, and that's where uh, I know that, that you're going to give me a hard time about this, and most of my <laughs> listeners do, is that I'm definitely going to make it there this year. And, and Teresa, I'm hopefully going to get an interview with you when I'm, I'm at oh, yeah. Air Venture. But Air Venture, uh, or Oshkosh, yeah. whatever we call it, it's uh, I haven't actually uh, been able to secure a room, even though my friends say I can stay with no. them. But uh, you're laughing. Why is that? Because the only problems I ever have at Oshkosh have to do with uh, accommodations. <laughs> uh, and I tell you that because if you've never been to Oshkosh, this is a very large consideration that you have to have. Um, because they're hard to they're hard to come by. And and if you're not familiar, Oshkosh essentially. People leave on their vacation, rent their house out for a week, and that funds their vacation um, because a million people ascend on a very, very small community. Not super small, but small enough. Uh, Certainly not a million people. Um, And so the first year, we had a week to find accommodations because the accommodations that we had fell through. And my fiance, Bob, did not tell me about this until I got there. 
that he had had to basically jump through hoops um, to uh, to find us a place to live. And it ended up that that show was a loss for me financially because we had to take a cab because renting a car there is nearly impossible. Um, so then several years later, once we knew accommodations were hard, we had a great idea that we were going to save money. And we put four of us in a 23-foot tra- uh, uh, motor home. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> oh I am one of these people who has no idea about distance. So something can be a mile from here or 10 miles of here, and I don't know the difference. 23 feet sounded like a lot of room. I am here to tell you that 23 feet is not a lot of room. And a week of living with three men and a diva who has to get into World War II costumes for in 23 square feet is like a circus. And I swear to God, every time we opened that door, it was like a clown car. <laughs> you know, it's just people coming out of it. So the guys would have to shower in the shower because I was the only one in the shower and in this teeny tiny bathroom where I could literally only turn around in a circle as I was getting myself ready. Um Ricardo had to blow up a uh, had a blow up mattress that everybody else had to get in their sleeping spot, and then he would put that in the middle of the walkway. And I always swore that if there was a fire, he wasn't going to make it out. Not because he burned to death, because he was trampled. <laughs> um, and then in the morning, you'd hear this, and that meant everybody could get up because he had, you know, closed off the or uh, had to had deflated the the mattress. So we decided we weren't going to do that. Uh, again, but this year our grand idea is we, I got a space in Warbirds camping, but nobody told me I needed to have the trailer first. Uh-oh. So in February I got a space and then I started looking for trailers and guess what? There weren't any. They were all oh, renting. No. So we started broadening our search and there weren't any in Madison. And then we thought maybe we would rent one in like once we got over the mountains out of North Carolina and just drive it up there. Finally, I got lucky and somebody with Warbirds hooked me up with the guy that um, is getting us one. But we, we don't know what size it is. It'll be somewhere between 28 feet and 32 feet. So if it's 32 feet, you might be able to stay with us. If it's 28 feet, I'm not sure that five feet is going to be a whole lot different from the 23 feet we had several years ago. And I have I have clarified that if necessary, we can put a small pup tent outside for anybody who I get tired of. Well, I may have to hit you up for that uh, for that, okay. that space over there. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> one of one of the neat things about this aviation world is it's interesting. There are so many people that are willing to share their accommodations uh, at yep. places like Oshkosh. And I think that's so cool that uh, you know we have people from all different vendors to friends to clubs, aviation clubs, etc. Uh, to people like yourself that are are willing to to help out. By the way, you mentioned Ricardo, and I just we need to mention also Ricardo. Ricardo is incredibly talented, by the way. He is he yeah. is an amazing aviation uh, photojournalist and uh, just an amazing photographer in general. Uh, and we should really put a plug out there and, and a link. And I will do that. Some of his pictures that he took uh, at uh, Sun and Fun were spectacular. Uh, as a matter of right. fact, if he's going to be at Oshkosh, we and I'll be there. We need to get our picture together and have Ricardo take okay. it. <laughs> That's oh, yeah, I would love to do that. And you know, it's funny because when I first met him, he was only taking pictures of airplanes. And I, in a conversation, I said, "You need to start taking pictures of people." 
And the last couple of years, he spends one day taking pictures of airplanes and he gets to do some air to air and stuff. But he is doing a lot more people and he usually will lend me his camera. And at the end of the air show, we start walking through the crowds against them. And we take pictures of the people at air shows, whether it's children, oh, cool. you know, veterans or that sort of thing. And that's where he's starting his his photography is really growing because the airplanes are super important, but so are the people. And um, he's he's doing a lot more of that. And you see it in his aviation photo journal um, republication that he puts out. Um, uh, I think it's like quarterly or every No, it's quarterly. And um, it's great. And, you know, he um, came here from Brazil. His very first stop was Charlotte, which is so weird. But now he lives in New York City. And our, our trailer this year will be me and Bob, who are just American. Then there'll be Ferenc, the guy who flies Ricardo everywhere in his V-tail bonanza, who's from Hungary. There'll be Ricardo from Brazil. And he has a friend who is literally flying up from Brazil for the air show who's also a great photographer, um, who's going to be staying with us. So I figure it's going to smell like Brazilian food and um, and Hungarian food because <laughs> that's all that's going to be going on there. We'll have a we'll have a we'll have a, a, a samba party and some some great uh, Hungarian uh, barbecue because um, it's just like you said, I mean, it's people from all over and it's just kind of. You know, Fernando needs a place to stay. Do we have room? I'm like, sure. I think technically we have room for one more. And um, so if you need I, to. I may be, I may be crashing with you folks. Who knows? But uh, it, yeah. it, we're, we're going to have fun, though. That's that's for sure at the show. I mean, I can't wait to, to hear you and also meet up with Ricardo. Uh, I've, I've actually watched some of his work and, uh, and obviously have listened to yours and some of the other talented people at the shows. It, it's so much fun. Uh, well, I have to people. tell you this other important part. Ooh. So if you come and you hang out with us, we do something every night. Uh-oh. What's that? Golf carts. I have a golf cart. Mm-hmm. And we put as many people as we can legally <clears throat> in the golf cart. And we drive down to the ultralights. Oh, cool. And we watch the golden hour, which is the ultralights. And then at the very end, they have the powered parachutes. And it's like going back in time to Waldo Pepper stuff. These are brave souls who put a can of av gas and a giant fan on their back with a glorified bed sheet and make it fly. So all of these other airplanes are great, but this is the beginning of it. And it is amazing to watch um, because... They're running. And one of my favorites is they, they, they actually have an air show announcer for the ultralights down there. And he'll be like, oh, it's the landing gears down, which means they put their feet down <laughs> and they land. And they I mean, they're running, trying to put the brakes on. And it's an amazing thing to see people's love of aviation so much so that they'll do this stuff. And it kind of puts things into perspective for the end of the day of seeing, you know, you see these the jets and the big bombers and all of this other stuff. And then you go. And you peacefully watch these people just fly as close to you can fly without your own set of wings. And it's a powerfully moving moment. And so we do that almost every night. Um, at some point, somebody's like, hey, I'll get down to ultralights and down we go. And um, if you hang out with us, we'd love to take you because 
you got to see it. I definitely am in on that one. Uh, that that sounds wonderful, and that's that's what uh, Oshkosh and all these shows is all about is is all these little micro venues that are absolutely wonderful. And and I say micro, although it's in a big space. Uh, just right. just seeing things that you you. I loved your description and couldn't have done a better uh, description myself. It is such an amazing uh, thing to watch as ultralights and, and anything that flies really. But, uh, but I love the landing gear down. It's it's just your legs. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and they do a radio show at Oshkosh mm-hmm. called, uh, called uh, it's every night on their, on their local station that you can just get inside the grounds called rush hour. And we go on there every so often. I, I think they, I think the guys that run that show get very nervous when we come on because it does kind of turn into a to another clown car. Funny how I'm constantly <laughs> involved with those sorts of things. But we talked about putting one of the the, the regular DJs in a shopping cart, and because um, we were watching the ultralights and the powered parachutes from where we were. Um, because what they do is after the air show, they just talk about the airplanes that are taking off and landing, and it has a global audience and. So we had we had had this plan that we were going to put Kelly Garvin in this um, in this shopping cart sort of situation and see if we could get her up in the air um, with the ultralights and powered parachutes and she she seemed to be the one least likely to be interested in that. Um, but <laughs> um, it, it was funny because you know everybody appreciates the ultralights they see they see what that really is 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 this deep love of flying to the point that you're willing to put yourself literally in life's peril to fly. And it's something that uh, I think if you've actually experienced it, you'll you'll never forget. So you need to go try try it out, or at least watch it. Um, you know, Teresa, yep. th- this has been so awesome. But be you know, we're we're coming up then the end of the show. But I, I'd love to know, you know, Teresa, what what's next? Where you know you've changed your lifestyle, you've changed your life so much, and I think you're going in an in incredible direction. You have you know, sun and fun. You have warbirds over the beach, Mid Atlantic Air Museum, the World War II weekend, and a- the air venture, of course. Where, what is next? What, what's uh, Teresa going to do next? I would like to do more air shows, to be honest with you. Um, it's been very difficult to acquire new ones from people that don't actually see me or hear me sing in the native environment, if you will. Um, I would like to be able to do this more and bring this to more people. Um, we were joking about the fact that I just turned 50, um, but don't act like it. But you know what? Time runs out and I only have a limited amount of time to bring this to people before I can't anymore. And so I'd really like to get into some more um, air shows, whether they be big and small and or or small Um, and pretty easy to work with. um, Not super expensive. And I think I add a component to an air show, whether it's, you know, a sponsor party or a. um, Or just, you know, in between acts when they're getting a plane ready or whatever. Um, that will bring people in that may or may not have been all that excited about being there. You know, how many wives get drugged to an air show because their husband wants to go? Well, I, I, what I bring is, you know, the clothing, the whole era thing, the, the beautiful songs, and, and, and that, can, that can make someone interested in airplanes that wasn't interested in it before because they just needed that added component. So that is really, you know, as I come onto the twilight of my life, what I would like to be doing a little bit more is singing for more people. Um, and, we, and I'm hopeful that that happens. 
but maybe it won't. Uh, no, I think it will, and I'm excited to hear you at more venues and, and listen to your music. And I think you brought up a great point, is uh, you attract many people that may not have been attracted to air shows before just because of your talent, also because of the fact of uh, you represent this era and uh, in many ways, in your clothing, your personality, your style, and your music. I think that you know one of the things that I wish people would listen to this interview that uh, that haven't been to an air show. If you're if you're listening now and your spouse or your partner wants to maybe go to an air show with you, listen to what Teresa has to say because it's really it's really important to know that this is not just an event for aviation geeks. It's for everybody that enjoys history, enjoys the period, enjoys music, enjoys clothing. Uh, so it's it's a it's a large organization, obviously centered around aviation. But uh, what better thing to be centered around than, than airplanes and watching these amazing things fly? And also, you're really a part of history. And, and what you're doing, Teresa, is you're bringing history alive. And I think that's really important. And that's what they're doing at these air shows, is they're bringing history right. alive. And you're, you're a great part of that, that era. And I think that's terrific. Well, thank you. And, you know, if you're an air show organizer, I, I, I can tell you absolutely that people have said to me, I used to hate this air show, and now I come to see you. That's a ticket sale. It's a ticket sale you wouldn't have had um, if it wasn't for me or the dancers or whatever it is that's bringing this person that originally was drugged there against their will. Um, so there's a lot of different components to what um, I offer and other groups that are trying to bring this sort of thing back to the air show community that, that you don't necessarily think about until – until you hear it or you see it from the people that are attending and say, well, I was so moved by this or, you know, my grandfather was so moved by this. And I, I get a lot of that, too, that that bringing this back to um, the veterans and the people from that time period that they're so moved by these songs um, or, or something that a reenactor has done or something that a dancer has done that is so powerful and, and so much an important part of the fabric of who we are. Well, Teresa, amen. It's been wonderful speaking with you. And uh, if people want to listen to your music, it's easy to find. You're on Facebook, uh, Teresa Sings Standards. We'll have a link to that, obviously, in the show notes. Also, Reverb Nation. Uh, look up Teresa Eamon. And uh, the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum has some links. And uh, there's there's just so many ways to find you. Uh, but I, I cannot wait to hear you again. Uh, actually, I'll try to make it to Virginia. I'm definitely going to go to uh, the World War II weekend and at Oshkosh. It's always wonderful speaking with you, and it's always wonderful to, to see you, uh, because you are somebody that brings back uh, the past, and, uh, and you're, you're just somebody that I, I think we can learn so much about life from, because you're doing it. You're, you're actually pursuing your dream, and it doesn't matter you know, what time of day it is, what time of your life it is. You really need to go for it, and you've done that. Thank you so much, and I hope to. I, I look forward to seeing you. I hope to see you in Virginia. If not, uh, I'll see you at Reading, and hopefully, we'll see some of your listeners. Make sure you come find me and tell me you heard me. <laughs> Terrific. Well, folks, this is uh, Carl Valeri reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. Of course, you can listen to this interview on the Stuck Mike Avcast and also Chats from the Deck. Uh, and you know, if you've heard uh, Teresa speak and you want to listen to some of her music, just again go to our show notes. But Reverb Nation, Teresa. Eamon, and also Facebook, and I tell you what, you're going to love it, uh, you know, When You Wish Upon a Star, my favorite song, please listen to that, it's it's terrific. Folks, uh, we'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike AppCast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.